Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, Research Director at Mintel. I'm recording this episode from Chicago, which is Mintel's U.S. headquarters. But we have a global panel of experts today talking about how COVID-19 has changed some of the consumer trends that we've been tracking across our regions. So I want to start by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Diana Kelter. I'm also based out of Chicago, and I am a senior trends analyst uh, focusing on the North America region. Hi, I'm Vanessa. I'm based in Sao Paulo, and I'm the senior trends analyst for Latin America. Hi, I'm Helen Fricker, based in London, and I'm the trends manager for the EMEA region. My name's Alicia Young, and I'm the trends manager for the APAC region, based in Sydney. So I'm very jealous of our trends analysts because on the research side, we spend a lot of time at our desks analyzing data to understand consumer behavior, but you trends analysts are usually out in the world (laughs) seeing how these consumer trends play out in the marketplace. I really have no doubt that we've seen some acceleration or shift of our trends in 2020 because of everything that's happening this year. Um, I want to start by talking about the experience is all trend, which is really about consumers desire for experiential offerings. So Diana, can you start us off by talking about what's happening with this trend right now? Yeah, so this trend at Mintel has really been on our trends database for quite some time. I would say it really started taking off and seeing a surge in popularity around 2010 and beyond. Um, So the 2008 recession really played a role in driving this desire for experiences. People didn't feel like after that recession they could buy a house or buy some of those traditional things. So experiences kind of became that buffer of what they wanted to spend their money on. And then obviously coordinating with that since 2010, we've also seen the rise in social media popularity, which led to this term we're all familiar with, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, So for the past decade, that was really driving a lot of the desire to have these experiences. People would see their friends at a concert or at this cool new retail store that had all these experiential offerings and it would just motivate people to want to also display what they're doing. Uh, Obviously in 2020, in the age of COVID-19, FOMO has all but disappeared. I think what we're seeing obviously is that everything's shut down, so there isn't experiences, but even for people who do, want to display to their friends what they're doing. It's almost with this fear of judgment now. You don't want to get called out for not social distancing or not doing that. So we're seeing that it's really experiences have almost returned to if someone is having a friend over or going to somewhere, they're doing it for the sake of the experience, not to showcase to their friends what they're doing. So I think for brands, it kind of creates this takeaway that it's if you're returning to this experience for the sake of experience, it brings that um, equation back to what is the value of the experience and not just what aesthetics are you offering purely for social media. Um, so I think it's kind of a shift for brands to think about what is the tangible value of an experience they're offering. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Um, in the kind of European region, we've really seen a move to those experiences that are almost like educational. So we're doing things at home. We're learning how to bake, how to cook um, and brands are getting involved and in teaching us. And it really gives a new element to the experience. It's almost, as I said, like an educator. And then we're almost not afraid to show off if we did fail at making that amazing cake that actually doesn't look like a, you know, a caterpillar. Um, But it's actually, we're kind of almost self-improving. We've been given this time, I think, at home to slow down and actually learn new skills and focus on what we want to do 
more for enjoyment and self-development rather than just showing off to our kind of social media followers. That's a really interesting point, actually. There's kind of, we've seen a real shift from those uh, extroverted kind of experiences, which are purely led, well, not purely led, but certainly very much led by showing off to people and, and having that social media following and kind of that shift back to, to more introverted personal experiences where we're kind of, like Helen just said, um, growing and learning and, and doing things for ourselves. Um, which does, I think, give a really interesting opportunity for brands to hop in and, and create those more personal kind of experiences, but also relationships with consumers as well. Yeah, I agree too. I think very similar things have been happening here in Latin America. Um, and we've seen a very interesting move, move from brands, actually, because uh, they have been uh, offering content, um, product-related content to these consumers through this experience, but uh, in more of like a knowledge way. So they're showing consumers uh, what's the history of the product that they, that they are consuming, where, where it comes from, what's the cultural relevance of that product. So it's also about getting to know, know more about your own culture and the ingredients you're using at home to cook, as uh, Helen said, uh, from like an individual standpoint, like a, a culturally connected standpoint. So that's been also very relevant for consumers because that was not a move that was happening before. Um, and they are also very interested about it too. The experience goes further, that goes beyond uh, just having fun or just being on their screens they really want to know uh, and feel that they got enriched from the content they are seeing so last time we um diane and i had a podcast episode actually we were talking about the power of public shaming um as a way to keep people in their quarantine zones and diana you mentioned that that's one of the reasons people aren't posting about their experiences is because there there's a little bit of fear of backlash i know that's clearly happening here in the u.s is that happening in your regions as well like people are if someone were post there a day at the beach people would jump on and comment and and troll them I think in the in the UK particularly, it seems to be the media that are really pushing this. Um, I'm sure a lot of people might have seen photos from around the world of our Super Saturday when the pubs opened and it was the middle of London, it like it was New Year's Eve. I think that's very minimal. I think people are actually much more cautious about going out. It is really a small group of people that are doing that. And I've not witnessed anything on social media um, that would you'd call shaming. Um, I think people are more... I've actually noticed recently, as, as in the UK lockdown, restrictions are easing. People are starting to repost what they're doing um, and... Um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I think it's still quite slow. I think we were expecting people to really like engage and get back out there, but actually people are still being quite cautious. Me. I will say that the US is a very divisive and crazy place right now. <laughs> I mean, it has been for a couple of years. Um, but along this trend of experiences all, like we have big name brands playing in the space. For example, Disney World opened last week and there's been a lot of back and forth about is that the right thing to do? Is that the wrong thing to do? It is a bit of a, a tricky place for brands to be that have an experiential live in-person face-to-face experience to offer. Yeah, I think what we're seeing in the UK is a few examples of actually re-establishing those in-person um, experiences. So we've seen recently open the first social distance festival 
Um, it can only have sort of four or 500 people. Everything is really well restricted, but it gives that sense of experience still. Um, we're seeing lots of open spaces being turned into drive-ins. I know we've seen this all kind of all around the world. Um, so I think brands are still finding their way to offer those in-person experiences. But I still think that the digital movement that we've seen throughout lockdown is still really important because... Um, we know from our data that people are still concerned about going out and mixing in large crowds. So there's going to be this this movement and continued movement. And I think that kind of leads on to that whole element of going live, the other trend that we want to talk about, because it gives that live streaming experience, but in a place that consumers feel a lot more safe. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that going live has become a trend with a lot of content around it, because I feel like, I don't know if you guys agree, but we've had this trend on the Trends Database for quite some time, and it was kind of pretty stagnant for a while. There just wasn't much, like people would occasionally do a live thing on social media, but it was very on the fringe. And I think that's interesting with technology. It feels like it's always going to be habit driven, like people using mobile orders or people using these features on Instagram. It, it takes some event to make it either mainstream use and people just are forced to see it on their screens or or something of that nature because I feel like this time is really just driving habits that people adjust to and I'm curious if this going live trend is going to be something that because people have been relying on it seeing celebrities doing concerts in their homes if that's just going to become expectation like you said where people some things maybe they still really crave that in-person experience and we're seeing brands evolve to offer that but I do think for some people they're like yeah that was a, a great concert I think that their vocals are good like they might just be comfortable sitting on their couch listening to a concert from now on and go, going live is a funny one actually so that live streaming has been a massive thing in China for quite some years now um, to a point that my Chinese analyst actually said I don't really understand why this is a trend like it's not anything anywhere else and it's just a platform for us like it's just how people interact so um, yeah it's been quite a thing for quite a while but then weirdly just before so probably six months or so before um, COVID even really began, we started to see a lot more live streaming happening um, all throughout Southeast Asia as well. So we'd see you know, um, fashion shows happening in Thailand um, that were being live streams to everyone. And I think that level of um, access to, to, to a wider audience is really important as well. So brands are starting to understand that the things that they were doing um, on a much smaller scale and was really quite exclusive and quite, um, yeah, not too many people could, could really attend and they couldn't engage on that level with many people. Now they've got a much wider audience um, that can access it when they want to from their own homes. And I think there's a lot of power in that as well. Definitely. Burberry announced their their next um, fashion show for the fall is going to be live streamed. And in, in one of the press releases, it explicitly said, so it makes fashion accessible to all. Um, and I think that is the beauty of that that trend and doing live streaming, exactly as you said. Yeah, and you can have that kind of that two way interaction as well. Like you can, um, mm. depending on obviously who's on the other end, you can't really should be heckling models, for example. <laughs> but if you've got on the other end who is, I mean, don't. That's just rude. But if you've got other people on the other end who are just speaking <laughs> to an audience, um, my favorite example actually is from Singapore. So when everything shut down, they had their circuit breaker restrictions in place. Um, the wet markets there couldn't open anymore. And that was the way that a lot of people would buy their produce, buy their ingredients and stuff, their fresh their fresh produce. Um, so all the vendors there got together and started doing a Facebook live streaming auction. So 
people could, instead of actually going to the, to the market, because obviously that wasn't allowed, they could just start to bid online and using, and what I loved about it actually was first off, it showed the, um, the personalities of, so it recreates the experience, which I think is really important. If you're going to switch to an online platform or, or extend that way, I think you've really got to recreate the experience that people love in the first place and the consumers engage with your brand for. Um, and that in this instance was those quirky kind of the quirky vendors and the, and the whole hustle and bustle of the whole thing. Um, and then, yeah, again, that access, like they sold out so quickly as well. So, and then just being able to use the technology that they had, like all they had was Facebook live. They didn't have a website or anything like that. So I think it does, there's an access point of view from um, from the vendor's point of view as well. I love your um, example, Alicia, because I feel that's the same uh, happening here in Latin America uh, with one addition that it makes us feel uh, closer, like it humanizes connection, right? For us here that come from a very collective culture is crucial. Um, and there was a very nice example for our brand too, that uh, fully locked one of their stores. Of course, there were already restrictions on functioning, but they made sure that all of the health uh, measurements and procedures were correct um then one of their staff would be fully uh working from that store and showcasing people the products showing them what they had explaining take uh, asking their questions and everything else so uh, they not only made uh live streaming their main um e-commerce channel for the period but they also humanized um the way they would approach uh, consumers from it. Uh, and that was a huge success because people would really feel that they were not talking to a robot, you know, during a period that their emotions need so much to be comfort and they really crave uh, social social interaction. So that was a really nice move here. And I, it totally resonates with what it is she's saying. Yeah, Gucci have done a similar thing in, in Europe. Um, they've got a store that's explicitly for live shopping. Um, and I know that trend's quite big over in in the APAC region but I, we're seeing it increasingly come over into Europe the Nordic markets as well so I mean I didn't understand what it was it's not <laughs> I had to work out what this live <laughs> shopping was but I think for that younger generation um, that are really into kind of social media and that 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 stream of shopping as a channel um, it's really resonating with them and I think COVID's almost pushed it further um, than it would have you know it, it's come to the market quicker than it would have done previously. I was going to say it's a reinvention of the old, um, the people who would sell knives on TV. It's, it's just that. But <laughs> <laughs> on the internet, it's brilliant. <laughs> Look at this vacuum and how it can pick up a whole bowling ball. This is- <laughs> <laughs> For the kids, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I was going to build off of Vanessa's point about humanizing because that made me think about how influencers have been leveraging um, this feature too. A blogger I followed for years, even before um, this year put everyone in quarantine, she would always do these Instagram live cooking demos. Um, so, and it was just her in her kitchen, her husband would film her and it was very raw, natural. She's in sweats. Like, and it really made, it made me feel motivated to cook because I was seeing her do it. I'm like, oh, that actually is easier than I thought it would be. Um, and she really just took that when quarantine started, she would do it more uh, constantly. And it really, it wasn't just about teaching to cook, but it was also joyful because she was, she's such a positive person. So, it was just a, a nice way to see someone bringing joy to their kitchen, which I think helps uh, people not only be motivated to cook, but obviously emotional relief was so important at the start of quarantine. So I think it was a nice way influencers mm-hmm. leveraged it too. 
we're seeing quite a lot of that in in this this region as well and i think brands are getting involved and i think what they've what they've done really cleverly is given us sort of secret ingredients secret recipes that we wouldn't have known so pret did it and i know that i think burger king did it and again it's about Mm. it's almost giving us that not secret knowledge, but personalised. It's humanising it. It's, it's giving us something that we wouldn't actually get. So they've managed to even kind of like position it in a positive element, the whole situation that we've had to go through. So speaking about going live and live shopping, really the nature of retail has changed, at least here in the US in the past six months from just going to go pick up my groceries, just head down the store, pick up what I need. And a lot of things have moved over to e-commerce. So now as things are reopening and we're entering recovery, I'm curious as to what everyone thinks about the combination of e-commerce and in-person retail and what that's going to look like moving forward. Yeah, so we have a trend at Mentel called seamless spending, which has been tracking kind of this evolution as we go to cashless society or how biometric payments are going to become the norm. And I think COVID-19 has accelerated that because um, no one wants their cash right now. They, that's a, it's a handoff. It's more um, obviously contact involved. And I think, um, once again, that goes back to creating habits. On a personal note, I know when quarantine first started, my dad consistently kept going to the ATM to have cash on hand and my mom kept telling him no one wants your cash right now and if he finally came around where he would stop getting cash because it was such a habit for him cash with safety like that was the mentality and so it, it, I think for some people who've grown up in a society where they've been taught always have cash on hand that's their you know it's just a mentality I think we're seeing that reverse now where the safety is not have any contact with the person that you're having an exchange with so um, a cashier so they're just all this technology now from square to I've just seen the whole gamut we're just seeing that that innovation is really taking off in cool ways and I think that's also accelerating if a customer can learn how to adapt to that they're also going to adapt to other forms of technology. I just read, uh, wrote an observation yesterday about Coke in the U.S. They're freestyle machines. They have now are adding contactless technology. So if you hold your phone up to the freestyle machine, there's going to be a QR code where it will just prompt basically take the screen from the freestyle machine and put it on your phone. So you're never touching the, um, the actual freestyle machine itself. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool innovation. But what I thought was smart there is that they didn't require an app download because no one, I know myself included, isn't going to download an app on their phone just to pour a drink. Um, so I think that's where it's going to be key is figuring out what investment a person's going to make in technology. Like if you're constantly ordering from Taco Bell, for instance, yeah, then maybe you want the app on your phone because it's going to be convenient or Starbucks if you're consistently ordering. But if for a simple transactional thing like pouring a drink, no one's going to take the time to put an investment into that. It needs to be quick. So I think that's where we're going to see some really interesting divides of how much investment you want your customer to put into technology and how much is going to be a quick transactional thing. Yeah, I agree. I had a personal experience of having to download an app in order to buy something and it was very frustrating, but it was the only option and I wanted that objects i'm not going to say which brand is but um <laughs> there is that and i think also on a, a wider level just you know you, as you said use having to download apps they take up space uh, you know i think what we're seeing is is the adoption of these kind of contactless technologies and in, in our region what i've noticed recently 
specifically in more like the Middle East and African region is a lot of startups, a lot of fintech investment coming in, not only from a consumer perspective, but from a from a brand perspective. So there's there's um, companies really helping those smaller businesses particularly utilize this technology. So all of the kind of back-end network is being generated now so that as consumers continue to adopt this, it's going to be so, so, um, so instant that we just, we automatically use our smartphones. And I think, as you mentioned, biometrics as well, that is only going to continue. I think the health benefits and the convenience will probably start to outweigh the kind of data security issues that a lot of consumers still have when they realise that actually this is protecting not only um, your financial um, information, but also your personal health when we're looking at the spread of diseases and viruses. So Diana, someone mentioned to me um, this week that if you go out to a restaurant now in Chicago, a lot of the ordering is done on QR codes. Have you seen that? Um, ordering your payment just using QR codes to avoid um, contact with the other the vendors? I haven't personally seen that, but I've also heard that that's become a form of people kind of showcasing what they want. And I think it really demonstrates how I feel like whenever QR codes came onto the scene, I don't know, it was 5, 10, Oh, it was a while really? ago. People kind of laughed at the use of them. They were like, what are these things? No one's good. Like, I know they'd be on buses and people were like, no one's holding their phone up to this ad on a bus. So I think it's just, it really showcases the evolution of technology. Like at the time when it was created, no one really knew what to do with it. So it wasn't really used in a tactical way. And I think now that technology still exists. So we're seeing restaurants, places that never really knew how to use it, finding this functional value from it. So I think it is really cool that we're seeing it really com- kind of the the evolution of technology, how it, it might start off being something people kind of scoff at and be like, oh, that's just a fad. But now it's really proving to have a lot of value for customers. In London, we have um, clipper boats. So they're like water taxis and Uber are now partnering with them. And in order to get your ticket, it's a QR code on your phone. So that just demonstrates how much kind of breadth that those QR codes have. And I definitely think we're going to see them being used more and more and more. I know one thing too, um, when before things were really reopening, we saw a lot of reservation systems kind of expand their focus. So um, Open Table used to only do restaurants with food, but they announced as things started to reopen, they would do reservations for bars and wineries. And for the wineries, they even included this feature where you would book it and have it paid for like in advance. So it was even reservation systems were just enhancing how you would pay for an experience. So it's kind of taking care of before you even sit down, taking one worry off your plate of like how is are they going to bring the check do we have to sit here and wait because i know a lot of places have time limits so i think the more that these services can like take that fear anxiety away from the person they'll enjoy the experience even more and feel more comfortable with it it's also this one that we've seen in australia i think it's called me pay um where you do the same thing with a qr code you um you, you scan the thing and then but it also calls over the person the the server to come and take your order as well so you don't have to actually get up from your table once you walk into that restaurant you sit at your chair which is the uh the rule at the moment that you can only sit in your chair and you can't be in a restaurant or a pub or whatever without being seated um and then somebody can come to you and they will take your order and they won't you know they'll stay keep their distance and then walk off and it keeps the entire thing quite clean as well 
and then you can just walk straight back out again. I mean, the convenience of it, it does make a lot of sense from a service perspective as well to kind of keep track of all of these things. I think once people start to get used to that entire process, I can't see why that wouldn't stick around for the longer term. Yeah, I feel the same. And I, I totally uh, agree with Diana. Like we would be having QR codes around for a while, but nobody would actually use them uh, uh, on a regular basis. And now they're really promising to be a big thing. But the seamless painting trend that she also spoke about, I think it has like a huger meaning here in Latin America because our digital literacy was not uh, that high before uh, the pandemic. So it really pushed us into uh, the digital world. Uh, and we've seen so much from that. And I think it before applying that uh, to our um experiential things or like the 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 consumption uh back to the new normal to reality i think it's first pushing us to virtual banking or pushing us to understand how digital money works and how what we can make out of it for example whatsapp starting uh, a banking uh, process here in brazil some weeks ago it's holding up but i'm i, I personally i'm sure that it's going to be back again uh because uh it's an easy way to do banking uh while on a platform that people are already used to deal with but like little things like the financial support government uh provided to people here were fully done uh on digital even uh, cards do not exist they're virtual too so it's kind of pushing us as a region uh into the digital banking thing before we can really learn on how to benefit from the other tools that come from it but yeah, we've seen a lot of um, restaurants adopting QR codes or a lot of small businesses going online either by uh, opening their own e-commerces or endorsed by huger brands who want to support them or ha being helped by consumers who want to see their communities su succeed. So they are organizing their, their e-commerces that will help pushing all of this movement too. So I believe this is a really complex uh situation that we are going through and basically it, it it has been showing us from the from the basis that there's a new world on digital that brands can help us explore uh and help us merge into it because we don't know the benefits that they can provide us like on a wider view that's a really good point. Like to your point exactly, um, in Southeast Asia, I think it's 73% of people in the area, are, sorry, in the region are unbanked, meaning that they don't have any kind of bank account. So that effectively locks them out from um, from online banking or sorry, online, online shopping, um, ride hailing, all these different kinds of things, food service, food delivery, which means that if they are stuck in their houses and they can't order anything online, how are they accessing all these services? Like how are they, how are they getting out there and doing all of these things? So I think brands certainly, and we're seeing big ones like um, Grab is the, the Uber equivalent in Southeast Asia. We're seeing that kind of start to move well, supposedly move into this kind of digital banking area. There's always so much um, data that they've got through by virtue of having, you know, the transport data that they've got on people, on consumers, um, the way that they eat and shop and all that kind of thing anyway. To have that banking data as well would be kind of massive, obviously. And then to um, Helen's point as well, what we're seeing on the other side of it is brands like Amazon coming in and helping connect all the Karana stores through India. Um and providing that financial infrastructure for them so that, like you say, when when consumers are ready to, to jump into that kind of space and they're, they're 
comfortable doing so, um, that whole thing's going to be set up for them and it's going to be a really seamless transition. I kind of echo what you've said about the two elements. So in the like specifically in like the Africa region, those unbanked um, customers, they're now being, yeah, as you said, you being used, giving opportunities to use WhatsApp. A lot of the telecoms providers are introducing ways for them to spend. So everything gets done by a telephone number. They don't necessarily need internet access. They don't need a bank account. But then we've got the other side where it's much more high tech. So it's really interesting how that trend can be applied to so many different demographics, um, whether it's, you know, the more um, established and Develop countries where we're using biometrics and eye technology to the, to the lower ones where we're using, you know, their phone numbers to an SMS in a lot of cases as well. Yeah, we certainly see a lot of SMS as well. Yeah, what's just texting for groceries, that kind of thing um, through mm-hmm. India as well. So it's certainly it's a very fascinating space and watching the two kind of come together, I think, is, is really interesting. But it's good to see also that whoever's kind of picking up that slack, whether it's banks or brands or whoever else, those people aren't being left behind in that space either. So clearly the events of 2020 have led to some acceleration of our trends. I'm excited to hear just from the entire trends team um, how this is going to impact all of our trends moving forward. And I know you guys are working on a lot of content around that. So as you guys are coming up with all of these great ideas, I'm just writing them down. (laughs) I'm just scribbling as fast as I can. But a lot of them really struck me as great takeaways for brands on how to move forward. So a couple things that I noted, I love, I think it was Alicia that said this, thinking of shifting offerings from extroverted to introverted. That's such just a beautiful way to encapsulate this while people are inside or just at some, at some measure socially distanced from others. How can you make your offerings feel more introverted? Um, bring more personality to your digital platforms. I mean, all brands can do this and really benefit from this because people do want to feel like they're interacting with someone else on the other side of the screen. Even if it is a chat bot, even if it is um, not a live feed, but how can you bring a little brand personality and a little human touch to that? I thought that was a great idea. And just more broadly, brands can't rely on old habits right now because they're shifting so quickly just by um, necessity. So brands that are used to the way people use their products, interact with their services, they really need to be thinking very deeply right now about if those habits are going to stay. And then maybe most importantly, QR codes, guys. They're not going to die. They're never going to die. We thought they were going to die. (laughs) A long, slow, painful death, but they're still here. So having that functional technology, when the the consumer need rises to meet that technology, it's going to take off. And QR codes are a great example of that. So I wanted to thank all of my panel for sharing their thoughts and ideas that I could steal and write on all my post-it notes here and thank our listeners for hanging in there. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We'll be here next week with another episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. 